Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. But not only am I your hiring guru, I'm also your network ninja. I'm going to connect you with amazing people with each session, and today is no different. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Michael Yinger, COO and co-founder of ResumeSeeve an advanced AI-powered candidate evaluation platform designed to ignore biases and look purely at talent. Michael believes that by uh, by removing human biases in the recruitment process, companies are able to hire a more diverse workforce. He is passionate about helping employers minimize the time to find top candidates and believes in the transformational power of HR technology. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Thank you, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. I, this is so much fun, and I'm, I'm really gonna hoping that you're going to dispel some myths that maybe even I have when it comes to using AI to sort through resumes. But before we get started, a couple of things. I, I told you I'm going to call out the elephant in the room, so what is that I hear in the background? What, what you hear is a 10-week-old puppy. Uh, 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 Vishla is the breed. Her name is Lady Bell. She, it's a hunting dog, uh, Hungarian origin, and she is in the process of crate training, and I'm home alone, so oh. that means she's in the crate. <laughs> Poor uh, baby. As you say, the elephant in the room. I, I would bring her, and she would eat the mic. Oh, no. So, there we go. <laughs> I think mine would probably try to steal the show if I had them here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's, she's definitely cute, too. That helps. Okay. And how big will she get? 55 pounds, 24, oh, wow. 26 inches at the shoulders. So, you know, a typical sort of mid-sized dog. Yeah, she'll she'll be a handful when she's fully grown. You know what? I'm going to share something with you that I'm doing with my dogs right now, okay? And I okay. have two little Pomeranian Chihuahua crosses, and they're super little. But have you heard of this? the dog buttons? No. Uh-uh. You, you have to Google it. There's a channel out there on YouTube called What About Bunny? And she is part of a university study where they are teaching her, you know, those buttons that you can program, like the ones that say, that's easy, you know? Um, You can program them with your own voice and say stuff like walk or treat or outside and all this kind of stuff. And they are teaching this dog to talk using sentences. That's a little scary. (laughs) <laughs> it's so no it's so cool so i like it though that's that is that is very clever i think so too so okay so first of all and you may not remember this but let's see if you do how did we get connected i think we got connected because you all reached out and saw that i had some things to say as you said about the technology and what the technology can do for us and that was our point of connection, and we agreed that this might be a, a good way to continue that conversation. I, I think that's pretty close to what happened. So I think yep. we tripped across yep. your technology, and we were like, huh, how does this work? So yep. um, so tell us a little bit about Resume Sieve and what the platform has to offer. Sure. 
We have a, a technology that is intended to improve the process of evaluating resumes. So it, it operates at the very front end of the funnel, and I know you're familiar with how the recruiting funnel works. The idea is you import a job or you create a job within the sieve, and then you bring in your resumes, and then the resumes are all evaluated against objective criteria. They're evaluated against the skills that you want to have, the maybe the languages that people speak, the education that they've had, the uh, where they live because you're concerned about proximity, mm -hmm. those kinds of, of features. And so what we're doing is is we're we're analyzing the resume, looking for those things. And so what we're taking out of it is the judgment about well somebody's name or you know what college do they go to. Now, it, Nothing's perfect, Casey, mm -hmm. you'll know this, because at the end of the day, somebody is still deciding who gets interviewed and somebody is still doing the interview. What we're doing is we're presenting a compliant review of the resume in the context of the job requirements. That's as close as you're gonna get to being completely uh, sort of uh, unbiased. It's 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 really taken a look at what just what are the skills, you know, how long has somebody done the job, those kinds of things. But it's, it really is an objective review before you get to the interview stage. So I'm curious, are you familiar with um, a study that came out of Amazon's AI? Well, if you tell me what the study was, uh, probably, because I, I know they have really struggled with their mm -hmm. AI. And then I can explain to you how our AI works. Okay. Uh, but go, go ahead with your Amazon. So, and, and I don't know all the details. I just briefly skimmed over it, but, um, and this was a while back, but basically the AI was producing an inordinate amount of mails for the jobs and they couldn't figure out yeah. why. And when they went back and looked yeah. at it, they had fed it resumes to base their decisions off from like the people that they'd hired over the last 10 years, sure. which was predominantly yeah. male. And so yep. the computer yeah, said, well, you want to see men. So, yeah. and, but they finally figured yeah. it out. So what's happening for us is that our AI takes place primarily on the front end, which is where the resume is parsed. And so two things are happening. First, the AI is using the skills database that has already been built up, which has nothing to do with gender or ethnicity, any of those kinds of things, it's just skills. And it's breaking down the resume, looking for those skills. And then what it's doing is it's learning based on what it's finding. Are there new skills that we don't know about? And then it's updating its skills list. At the same time, what it's doing is it's learning to read resumes. Mm. Now, you've been in the game for a while. If for one, one job, you get 10 resumes and all 10 of them are gonna look different, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a recruiter, where do I find the skill? Where do I find the school they went to? Where do I find how long they had a job? All that is a sort of a manual process. And of course, we know that a lot of the time recruiters have, have you know, they, they're making quick judgments based on something. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're filtering. And that's a challenge in and of itself, right? If you, if you look at 10 resumes, maybe you can really compare all 10 of them on the same basis. But if you're looking at 30 resumes, are you looking at the 30th resume the same way you looked at the first resume? It's not possible. You're going to be fatigued. You're going to have seen other things. And so you end up bringing in your own personal biases. And so, again, we're trying to make the recruiter's job easier by taking that 
bias out of the process. You know, can I tell you that is such a true statement because here just recently I posted a role and it's like crazy town out there right now in the job market, right? Mm -hmm. And I posted a role and it was a very high level role and I ended up getting, so far I've probably gotten about 150 resumes. And do you think I'm looking at all those resumes? Just like you just said, you don't look at them the same. You look at them very differently depending on, you know, what time of day it is, how many you've looked at before. I'm, yeah. I'm not even gonna kid you because this is coming through LinkedIn. I've gotten to the point, don't tell anybody, <laughs> where <laughs> I'm just like looking at the headlines because I know I need a very specific skill set in yeah. industry for this. So I'm not even opening the resumes anymore. I'm over it. Yeah, no, I hear you, I hear you. And so let, let me just give you a, just a really quick example. We posted a customer success lead job. Uh, LinkedIn, Indeed, free posting, and we let it run for seven days. We collected 290 resumes. It took me maybe 10 minutes to put the job description into the system. And then it took me about an hour and a half to download all those resumes from LinkedIn and, and Indeed, and then upload them into the sieve. And then it took me five minutes to analyze them. And so at the end of about three hours, I had gone through 290 resumes and come up with the top five candidates. And wow. I, I could have then gone another day, picked up another 25 or 30 resumes, dumped them into the mix, and then just reanalyzed the whole bunch of them to see if somebody else has bubbled up to the top. Because you know you, you think about two things that recruiters struggle, struggle with when it comes to resume review. One is more resumes coming in and so at what point do you analyze the resumes versus waiting for the resumes to come in? Now, here's the second one. You go to the hiring manager and they change the criteria. Now you have to go back to all those resumes. Well, in our case, you, you know, let's say that we were looking for an IT person and we put down Java and uh, Excel and GitHub, you know, two or three skills. And you weren't finding anybody that had that mix. Well, you know, maybe maybe I don't need Java for this job. Maybe I really just need these two things. And then reanalyzing the whole thing in real time without the time that it would take to go back through the resumes and find, well, who was it who had that? And what the, the, you mm -hmm. know, nine times out of 10, I have seen a recruiter will go to the hiring manager with a stack of resume, a stack of, you know, a slate, right? Mm -hmm. And the hiring manager will say, well, yeah, these are good, but what if, and how hard is that to, yep. to respond to that what if on the fly? So you, know, you end up excluding people. That's a really good point because you just brought up something that I didn't even realize that I do. So I will tell you a lot of times, once I see a resume and I've discarded it, it's gone. Right. And I don't, like if another position comes in later, I don't necessarily think about that resume because I, we get so many resumes. There's no way oh, that we can remember, remember all of them. them all. Yeah. No, but there's no and, way. I mean, I can do this quick search in my file manager, but that's, you know how well that works, not so well, yeah. <laughs> yep. get a lot of weird stuff. But anyway, so you mentioned that unconscious bias is influence our decisions as people, particularly during the hiring process. And studies sure. show that companies with a diverse workforce are 35% more likely to perform above their respective national industry medians. So how can a business attract and retain a diverse workforce? Ah, okay. So there's there's two really important things there. Attraction is going to come in, in in two ways. One, where are you looking for people? Mm -hmm. And are you are you posting your job in a place where it's going to be accessible to the demographics that you're interested in attracting? 
that's their, their websites that specialize in looking at that. The second is, how did you write the application or the, the job description in the first place? There's, there's a very interesting, in my mind, a very interesting dis distinction between a job, a job description and a job ad. And often what studies are finding is that the way the job description is written is not conducive to people being interested in the job. And so, you know, certainly there's, there's software out there to allow you to pick apart your job description to make sure that you're you're not creating any anything that's going to put off certain people like you know are there pronouns in there and how are the pronouns used or those kinds of things but those at the, at the front end that's a very uh critical part of attracting the right people now in terms of attrition especially these days right we've got the great resignation going on mm -hmm. people leaving for for no good reason other than you know what i can't so i'm gonna leave Attrition really starts, quite frankly, I think attrition starts with recruiting. Are you, are you getting the people who are most likely to stay? Are you telling them what's really going to happen when they take the job? Then they're going to be more likely to stay when they're there. Now, you might have to do some training of your managers because how are they treating people? You know, there are those kinds of things that you have to take into consideration. A lot of it starts with, are you hiring people that are going to fit in your organization because they have a good sense of what it's going to be like in your organization. It's, it's something that people miss that, you know, they think, well, you know, attrition is something that happens after the hire. You're setting yourself up at the very beginning. If, you know, if, if, if you're, 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 let's just create a silly example. If your office culture is very inclusive and you have birthday parties and cake and all those kinds of things, but somebody's a real loner they may make the decision in the hiring process that I don't want to be part of that kind of organization because I don't feel like I'm going to fit in. Well, you're avoiding attrition at the front end. Even if they're a perfectly qualified candidate, they might not be a good fit for you. So a lot of that has to do with the dialogue the recruiter's having with the candidates that you really do talk to in terms of being realistic about what, what your company's like, what the job is like, and those kinds of things. That's where dealing with attrition really begins. And then, of course, you know, there's there's just the simple things like, you know, are you are you really supportive, truly supportive mm -hmm. of organization? Does that permeate how you think about promotion and recognition and those kinds of things that, that it, it we uh, we had a client years ago that was complaining because they weren't getting any diverse hires. We demonstrated to them that they were getting 75% of their slates were 50% diverse. What was happening? They were being interviewed and they were falling out at the interview. This wasn't a qualifications issue. This was just that, that unconscious bias in the hiring process, in the interview process, which comes from training. You know, can you do some training? Can you, you know, have people see what, what it is that they're doing or not doing? All those kinds of things. It's a, it, it's a lot of work to be committed to the concept of diversity and to do the things that you, you have to do to really have an organization that is focused on attaining that. You know, you reminded me of one of my clients who shall remain nameless that I worked with a long time ago. And it's so interesting because my teammates would say, Casey, you, you don't have to tell the candidates everything. And I'm like, hey, I don't want to fall off. You know, and that a fall off is when somebody leaves within our guarantee period and we have to find a replacement for them. Oh, sure. 
And so, you know, that's like a recruiter's nightmare. And so I had this one client, I'm just gonna tell you this real quick, because it really speaks to how transparent I am and how I really do try to look for that culture fit as to what you said. And I'm like, oh, I do that. Um, But I had this one client that I was working with that was just horrible. They were just horrible to their people. And we knew they were horrible. And I felt so bad about finding people for them, you know, but they, you know, and I fired them twice and they kept coming back to me with bigger fees. And I was like, okay, fine, but I'm going to tell them how bad you are. Okay. And they're like, okay. And so I would, when I would talk to candidates and I had to talk to every single one of them, I didn't care who the recruiter was. The first thing I would say to them is, do you want to hate your life? Yeah. And they're like, realistic job preview. Yeah. And you'd be amazed at the number of people. And and the one thing they had going for them is because they knew that they were so tough that they absolutely overpaid. And that drew a lot of people in. And so, but I told them, I was like, if you go, you're not quitting. This is not my fault. I told you it's not fun, you know? So it was, but I, I know I can't do that anymore. It made me feel bad for people. So yeah, it's, at some point, you know, you, you, you do have to question, uh, you know, what's your corporate culture? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, exactly. and, and, and as you as you, you you're implying, you know, who do you work with? You know, exactly. if companies are, are really like that, well, maybe they need to go find somebody else. Uh, you know, it's it's you can't work with everybody. No, nope, you sure can. Uh, we've made those. I, I've seen those kind of decisions made where it just, you know, just the way you're treated for, for us. Uh, I was in the outsource space for a long time and. We had situations where just the way we were treated in the sales process, we would get up and walk out of the room. So, like, you know, it's not going to be successful working together because you just got a different way of dealing with people. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Learn, and and I have no problem telling people no, like clients. <laughs> I, I'm just like, Mm-mm, nope. If I wouldn't yeah, I place you. my sister with you, I I don't want to work with you. So. Yeah. That's, that's kind that, of my... that's a great, that's a great, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great hurdle to go over. Who, you know, someone close to you, are you willing yep. to put them in that situation? Absolutely. Okay, so what are some of the long-term effects that hiring biases have on an organization? Well, you, you already pointed out one with the, the uh, statistics that a balanced organization that's more reflective of society and perhaps customer base is going to be long-term more successful. That, that's coming from a couple of things. One, there's an affinity that mm-hmm. translates into the employee value proposition, right? And, and how people feel about where they work and, and the people they work with, and then that comes across to the customers. And it, what, what also is happening is, um, are you getting diverse ideas in terms of what mm. you need to do as an organization? If you're only hiring one group of people, they're probably gonna have similar thinking, similar yeah. approach, similar thresholds. And so that's a lot of what, what the, the studies are showing is beneficial of having a diverse organization. So hiring with bias, you, you know, you get what you got. And okay, if that's working, if what you've got is working, well, okay, you can make the argument, why should I change horses, so to speak? On the other hand, if what you've got is, you know, you're not achieving what you think you're capable of, you're not growing in comparison to your your peers, then this is something that you could take a look at, that you're, you're, you're sort of dooming yourself in terms of the way that you're hiring. I hear you, yeah. So 
Okay, so let's go back to the technology. So we know HR technology is certainly not new, but it does continue no. to improve and develop. And But what are no. some ways that HR technology has failed recruiters? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, a lot of the work that I do is looking at that interface between process and technology. Mm -hmm. And probably this will resonate with you. Uh, we've made technology very complicated. I just, I think, you know, somebody who's running a full suite of technology to handle from sourcing all the way through interview, selection, hire, et cetera, you might have a recruiter touching eight, 10, 12 different applications. How confusing is that? How much does that take away from the time it takes for them to, that they could be spending talking to their hiring managers or talking to their candidates? Then you add to that some of the, the missteps, particularly in the AI space of the tools really not providing the kind of assistance that they were reported to. We had, we had, a, uh, I had a conversation with a, a CEO who was using the, there was a, a sourcing tool that was a bolt onto the front of their applicant tracking system. And it was AI driven. It was supposed to bring in the right candidates and more of the right candidates through active searching without mm -hmm. the recruiter having to do anything. What they were discovering is that the recruiters are using about 15% of it. About 15% of the time they were finding hits and they, and he went back and he looked and said, well, why is this the case? Well, it's because the recruiters weren't feeding back the information to the AI so it could learn. A lot of the AI that we see today in the talent space is still really machine learning mm -hmm. as opposed to actually the system is learning on its own. It requires input from somebody. You know, people have said to us, well, okay, you, you do this, you, you run your people, you run my, my resumes through the sieve and I get, you get this ranking. Does, does the system learn how to produce better candidates? Well, no, our system doesn't because we're not getting any feedback on whether the candidates that were, came out one, two, three, four, and five were really the right ones. Now we have anecdotal evidence. We had one client who they, they, they looked at 150 candidates for a chief revenue officer manually took them two weeks oh to Lord. go through the 150 candidates. They did their slate, they did their hiring. And then after the fact, they put those 150 candidates into the sieve and analyzed it based on the same criteria. The person they hired came out to be number two on the list huh. that, we, that we presented. Now, we're not getting that kind of information back. We're not asking for it. Right. So there, there really is no place for us, for, for the system to learn, but often, these these AI systems and some of them are very good. They're getting to be very sophisticated. They still require input. They're not learning on their own. They're learning from what people are telling them. So if you if you've got a, a sourcing tool, you probably have to be telling it, okay, it brought in two hundred candidates, and sorry, seventy five percent of them were not qualified. You have to tell the system that they were not qualified and why. Otherwise, the system's going to just keep bringing in the same candidates. It doesn't know any better. It's yeah, not the I, system's fault. I think I've used a system like that. And as a recruiter, and I'm sure you know this, especially a third party recruiter, right? So I have many, many, many different clients. And I attempted to use one of the, those sourcing tools. I won't say who it was. <laughs> and, and yes, you do have to feedback t stuff to it, but that seemed to take even more time than just actually just looking at the resumes. It just wasn't worth right. it to it, me. It's, it, 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 you know, you, you think about, and then that goes into the, the next step, which is all the things that were piling on top of the recruiters 
that takes away from what is it the recruiter is there to do? The recruiter is there to identify the right talent and then go through the process so that they choose to join the organization, right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 a really it's a sales dance as oh, much yeah. as it is anything else. And you, you, I get 200 candidates and by inspection, 75% of them are bad. Now I have to go back to those 150 candidates that I didn't like and I have to I have to do this and do that and do this and do that. And so suddenly they're not using the system or they are using the system, but they're losing productivity. Yep. They're spending, our, our numbers show that recruiters, even today with the systems that are out there are spending around 40% of their time through the entire life cycle of a requisition, evaluating resumes. That's probably you know, about what right. You, what if you could cut that in half, right? We, we think, we think with the, on average, we reduce 70% of the, of the time spent on evaluation. You still have to feed the system. You got to set the job up. You got to bring the, the, the candidates in and whatnot. And we see about a 70% reduction in the time it takes to evaluate resumes. So we're taking 70% away from 40%. We're, we're reducing by 28% the time it takes to fill a requisition. What does that do to your cost per hire? You've shortened it. Your time yep. to fill, shortened it. Those are all good things, right? Good things Absolutely. for the organization. And maybe the recruiter's a little happier about their work too. That's 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 a you know an additional benefit. Absolutely. So, into let's let's flip it to the candidate side. So we've talked about the recruiter yeah. side, how it affects us. But in today's technology and AI-driven world, how can candidates stand out and improve their job search strategy to land the job they want? Yeah, it it is it it's the 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 process of resumes. One of one of the people that I used to work with is a is a resume writer and. Mm -hmm. Over time, what she has moved towards is simplicity. Yep. You know, for a while, you know, you had to have your resume stand out, lavender paper, you know, outlines, things in a box. Well, the problem is sometimes the, the technology can choke on that. Yep. You know, a good parsing system maybe can read 75, 80% of a resume accurately. How, and, and then some of the ones that are built into the ATSs, uh, you know, again, I won't name any names, but you feed your resume in and it gets your name right. Maybe it gets your email address and everything else you're having to adjust in the application. So even though it's pre-filled the application, it's not accurate, right? So the, the there are a couple things. Uh, of course, honesty is is critical. Um, we had we had one candidate, uh, just another little short story. Our, our system identifies where in the resume a particular skill appears and it said that he had this skill, but I couldn't see it anywhere in the highlighting on the resume. So just for grins, I downloaded the resume, I highlighted all the text, and I take and I reset the color to black. He had pasted his resume on top of our job description and then changed all the text in the job description to white. What? To ensure that when we read the re to ensure that when we read the resume, all the key words were in there. It's amazing what candidates will go to. It's it's honesty. Are the skills there? Is it is it well organized? Is it easy to read? Those are the critical kind of things. You know, I, again, all too often, it's not because they don't have the skill. It's because the system can't read the way the skill is. We had somebody. Uh, we were looking at a resume. We couldn't figure out why it wasn't figuring out the, the amount of time somebody had the skill. The date format was month dot. And then the uh, the three letter code for or uh, day dot three letter code 
and then um, the year, four digits. It, it totally non-standard sort of format. So the system just had how to read it. it. Simplicity is really the key. And, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, you know, in terms of finding the right job, you know, that's real hit or miss these days, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure you're you're hearing this from your candidates. We got we got 11, 11 million more jobs in the United States than we have candidates to fill them. Yet people can't find jobs. This is true. Or they're getting turned down, or they're getting lost in the you know as you said the hundred and fifty that showed up. You know, by the time you get to number hundred and thirty, maybe it's a quality candidate, but you're just not seeing it the same way that you saw the first one. Or, you know, the recruiters are using some of those tricks that we that you know, we use in the good old days. I'm going to look at the first 50 and take the slate from the first 50. Or I'm going to break them into piles of uh, every other or every third resume. And those are the ones I'm going to look at because I, there are too many to look at. And I have to have a justifiable process, right? Yeah, for All sure. All kinds for of sure. things that make it hard for the candidate. So I have one more question for you because um, we are almost out of time, but I'm very curious and, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear it from your end because you're on the other side of the system. Is it better to upload a Word or a PDF version of your resume? You know, it actually doesn't matter for us in particular and for okay. most of the resume parsers, it doesn't matter. What, however, let me, let me make this one point clear. We had, a, we had a client who was using an ATS and they were downloading their resumes. They couldn't figure out why we couldn't read them. What they were doing is they weren't downloading the resume, which was in PDF form. They were printing the resume as a PDF. It turns it into a picture. Uh. If it's a true PDF, any system can read it. But what happens sometimes is that PDF is, is really a picture. It's a subtlety. And so... You know, if you think about it in that way, well, then maybe Word is superior because Word you're always going to be able to read. Most systems will read a PDF, and we've set up ours so that if it sees that kind of thing, it kicks it out, and we can go back to whoever's loading it and explain to them what's happened. That's not really a PDF. And even if it says .PDF, it's not really a PDF. That's, that was printed as a PDF, which is different than downloading as a PDF. Gotcha. I did not know that because I've always heard that it is better to upload it in Word and definitely don't put a lot of tables in there and a lot of fancy foo-foo stuff. Like you said, just yep. keep it simple because keep otherwise, simple. I, and I get those resumes like that too, and I try to parse them into our system and I end up with a bunch of blanks. And I'm like, great, now I have to manually enter all this information? Exactly. No, thank you. <laughs> exactly. So, all yeah. right. So keep it simple. Well, that was some fantastic information. Um, we do have our three VIP questions that I would like to ask you that we ask Lay everyone. Okay. <laughs> so if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Wow. Having seen the Martian and- uh, You have not? Sort of no, I have. Having oh, okay. seen the Martian, knowing, knowing, knowing what that guy went through, I want two people and one thing. I want my two brothers. One brother is a Mr. Fix-It. Anything engineering, he can fix it. The other is a cordon bleu chain trained chef. If it's food, mm. he can cook it. So there you go. You got your food covered, you got your fix-it. And then I want a really good multi-tool because you never know, do you need pliers? Do you need a screwdriver? Do you need a file? Because in that kind of a situation, I can see that it's it's a MacGyver event. You're always going to be trying to fix something. So there you go. 
Hey, really good work around my three items only by doing the multi-tool. That was clever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, what is one thing you do each day to set your day up for success or each morning? Yeah. Uh, my best friend, who was also my best man, and I have a daily practice where we every day send each other what it is that we're going to do during the day the top three to five things, what we're gonna focus on, what we're committed to, what we're gonna let go, and what we're grateful for. And we also report on results from the previous day. We do this seven days a week. Wow. And the expectation is that if uh, if it's not in by noon, you get, you get you gotta ping the guy to say, where's your, you know, where's your daily commitment? And so what I find is it helps me really focus on what are the top things that I need to look at. And, and then I get to reflect, did I actually accomplish those things or did I get distracted because of whatever? And so there's a, there's a training that goes along with it, you know, sort of mentally to, to really stay focused on the things that you, you think are important. Now, that's not to say your priorities can't change during the day, but sure. uh, it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a really honest sort of uh, feedback loop. I love that accountability. And I also love that, you know, I mean, our brains are such amazing organs, right? And so by you doing that, by you setting that intentionality each morning, you're, even when you're not thinking about it, your subconscious is working out whatever it is you wanted to get done. I love that. So, okay. My final question, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Wow. Done so many different things. Um, okay, how about something like this? Uh, retired, recently retired, senior senior executive leaves behind a legacy of appreciative teammates. Oh, I love that. That is beautiful. Okay, so how do people find you if they want to learn more about this? I, I know there's probably going to be some recruiters out there that are going to be. Get, I've got to have that in my life. So our, our website is ResumeSiv, all one word, ResumeSiv.com. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as directly on the web. And we do have a trial period. You can test it out. You can see how it works. Uh, you can get to me at Michael at ResumeSiv.com or as well, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, all, all the, uh, the big three anyway. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Michael. I have really enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. And so I really appreciate that. Um, I just have one last thing to say to you. Yes. You are a VIP. Whoa. You know, you know, Casey, I, I, I listened to several of your podcasts. I, I actually know one of the people that you've interviewed, which was kind of interesting. Um, uh, uh, and you said that to him and I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And his response to you was he, he felt chills and now I know what he means. Thank you. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.